0: You're listening to Scalet Sisters, episode number 65. Welcome to Scalet Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalet Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandy Venzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts. That's where you'll find my thoughts on educational philosophy and homeschooling, as well as my Charlotte Mason study guides and workshops. My co-host today is Pam Barnhill. Pam is a speaker, podcaster, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and author of two fabulous books, Better Together and Plan Your Year. Our guest on the show today is Kelly Cumby. I have known Kelly for over a decade, and I am very excited to introduce you to her. For over 25 years, Kelly Cumby has been educating her seven children at home, where she mostly sits in her rocking chair and reads aloud to them what she herself wants to learn. She has always loved music, nature, and stories, and passionately believes that they are all connected. She is prone to info-dumping and telling everyone to read The Fairy Queen*. Kelly will be leading the Shakespeare Mentorship that starts next week. If you're listening to this a little later, it starts the week of February 10th, 2020. The more Kelly tells me about her plans for this, the more enthusiastic I become. The Shakespeare Mentorship is for Sistership Premier members. To join, just go to scolaysisters.com sistership. I love today's episode because it's one part interview, one part hearing about Kelly's plans for Shakespeare, and one part interesting background information on not just Shakespeare, but also Jane Austen. Altogether, it's a recipe for a fabulous episode you won't want to miss. And so without further ado, let's get to it. Let's start off with our scolet every day. Pam, I'll have you go first. Okay, I will. I'm so excited about my Skolay every oh. day
1: for today.
0: <laughs> okay, so
1: I, I can't remember where I saw this book, but I totally bought myself a Christmas present. It's Shakespeare for every day of the year. Ooh. Yes, and it's this big, thick book. Uh, the author, or excuse me, the editor is Allie Ezery. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure who she is. I read the foreword, but apparently it didn't strike me as uh, something I should remember. But anyway, she edited this book and it's exactly what it says it is. It goes from January 1st all the way through December 31st. And there is just a little excerpt from Shakespeare for each and every day. And I think she's trying to hit seasonal things and, you know, just like when it's spring, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things about spring and... Hmm. different things like that but it's it's just little excerpts and then she has a little bit of commentary on each and every one and so like January 1st was uh the prologue from Romeo and Juliet Hmm. and uh you know she was just talking about prologues in general and how most of Shakespeare's plays don't have them and it was interesting because uh I was making connections a la Charlotte Mason because in Shakespeare's time apparently it was okay like it was in uh, Homer's time to uh, give away the spoilers, to give away the plot oh. before the play, which was something that I learned in my literature class this year, that having spoilers and not giving things away was a, a fairly modern construct. But um, anyway, hmm. I'm just really looking forward to digging into this and, and having fun with it all through the year. And it has a little ribbon. It has like a little uh, ribbon that you can uh, move as you read each like and every day. Like bookmark
0: thing. Yeah, so... There you go. How fun. So it's like a Shakespeare devotional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be
1: sacrilegious here. <laughs> devotional. Uh, and I most of the segments, most of the little excerpts are like, you know, you have her little commentary and then the excerpt and it's a page, page and a half. And that's nice. it. So it's totally doable and readable. I thought about Abby and her Shakespeare immersion. Yes. So yeah, that's really neat.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, Kelly, do you want to go next? Sure.
2: And, um, mine interestingly is sort of like, um, Pam's <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's a book of poetry by Malcolm guy Do y'all know him? He's a, um, an Anglican. I think he's a priest in the church of England. I don't. And, um, how do you spell his last name? G U I T E.
0: Okay. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And, um, It's called Sounding the Seasons, 70 Sonnets for the Church Year,
0: and uh,
2: I bought it last year in the summer, so I started reading it near the end of the book because the church year starts at Advent, so um, I got to the end of the book and then started over at the beginning. Today's sonnet, well, there's not a sonnet for every day. You know, it's only 70 sonnets, so the one that I read today is the one for New Year's Year's Day, and it's titled Church Bells, and... um, that just hit a spot of me that I just love. I, mm-hmm. I love church bells because of reading. Uh, well, the first Dorothy Sarah's novel that I ever read was um, the nine tailors. I don't know if y'all have read that one, but you know how that one is all about church bells and specifically ringing in the new year. So when I read that book, gosh, I remember it's been probably 15. No, it's been more than that. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Anyway, 17 or 18 years ago, I started going to YouTube and looking up videos of change ringing and the kind of, the ringing style that they do. And hmm. uh, so I, ju- I just love listening to the the bells ringing. And and then of course, you know, there's um, Tennyson's poem, ring out wild bells, and oh. You know, ring in the new year and all of that. But this particular sonnet, he uses the word sound to mean, not just the sound of, that the bell makes, but as a verb, um, hmm. you know, like to plumb the depths, to fathom. And he talks about how the church bells will sound us. And uh hmm so the whole thing was just fascinating, but this, this bold book, I, I'm just loving the book. I've read maybe half of it at this point. I'm not sure, but I would definitely recommend it. It's only 70 sonnets. So you can just kind of read them through the church year and not feel overwhelmed with having to keep up one a day or, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I, I need to it. put that on my list. Mm-hmm. I've actually been meaning to read more poetry this year. I feel like as my kids have gotten more independent in their poetry reading, I didn't make sure that I picked it up myself. And so I feel like I've read less and less. I mean, I'm not reading none, but we're going to get really close if I'm not more deliberate. <laughs> so I took a uh, Amazon
1: up on its uh, 99 cent for three months of Amazon Unlimited. Oh, and uh, there are some books of Wendell Berry poetry on Amazon ooh. Unlimited, like ooh, yeah. score. Totally worth the money.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be great too, because I, I really haven't, I mean, I've read a few or like a handful of his poems, but I don't own any of his poetry. I just have, you know, his fiction and then his essays. So hmm. let's go check that out too. Thank you. Uh, okay. So mine is Modern Times by Paul Johnson. And I'm, I mean, I'm reading this book as pre-reading, but it has just been fascinating to me i think other than world war ii i really haven't read much history past about i don't know well i haven't even really read much about world war one so i mean really past about 1900 i have not read much little bits here and there like maybe a biography here and there but i don't have the sense of the flow and how everything happened and why and how one thing led to another and all the communism stuff and all of that is all kind of mysterious to me and so it has been such a good read. And I know Misty recommended Paul Johnson, but it was a different one. Do you remember which one it was, Pam? I don't.
1: Oh, it's I like don't. The, um,
0: his American history book, I think, is what she liked. Sounds vaguely familiar. And So she, had, she just liked him as a writer because he was British writing about the United States, had a, kind of a different perspective than your average, like, Not that he wasn't rah-rah U.S., but there's just a different, you know, different perspective that comes from not being American when you're writing history. And um, he has been so neat reading him. And, you know, there's such an interest among the young people. I feel old saying that, but um, (laughs) with communism and socialism. And when I ever ask any questions, I find they don't really know what it is. And then I thought, I don't know that I, I mean, I could give you a definition but I don't know my history well enough to really be able to defend any position I would have on those things, which means I don't really have an opinion. (laughs) I'm just a parrot. So, uh, turns out (laughs) I probably needed to be informed. So this has been an amazing read, but Oh my goodness, that it's teensy tiny font and it's almost a thousand pages. Mm. So, I mean, this is really, but I mean, we're taking all, you know, we're taking a whole school year to read it. So we started in August and we will finish first week of June. So we definitely have it all spread out to where it's not overwhelming. But anyway, it's been it's been a really good read. And I just I was reading in the doctor's office this morning while I was in the waiting room and it was all about Hitler and it it but it has, you know, original source excerpts and stuff. And so it was quoting, um, what's his name? Goebbels or gobbles, however you say his name. But it it was very interesting. I mean him basically saying Hitler could have been stopped really early on. If anybody had read Mein Kampf and taken it seriously.
2: Mm.
0: That Hmm. but because they didn't, because nobody really said this man is in charge of Germany and this man wrote this book. This is what he said. And so we're not gonna allow this. (laughs) Because of that, they just started, you know, railroading the Versailles Treaty and all these different things. And but Goebbels was basically saying that the nations surrounding Germany could have put an end to it because they really would have only had to have taken out like a couple of leaders and the whole thing would have fallen apart because one of the things Hitler seems to have be doing at this point in my reading is replacing strong leaders with weak ones so that he can be in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. But as he did that, that meant that there really weren't people to take his place. So there were only like two or three guys that were influencing everything. So anyway, wow. I wouldn't necessarily call it uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids' reading sounds much more uplifting, but I'm starting to feel like a more informed person, (laughs) so that's something.
1: Uh, So I looked him up on Amazon, and his uh, A History of the American People, which must be what Misty recommended.
0: Yes, that sounds right.
1: Also on Kindle Unlimited. Mm. And you know what you can do with Kindle? You can make the font big. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no,
0: it could be two thousand pages.
1: <laughs> well, but Modern Times isn't there. That one is uh, you'd have okay. to you'd have to purchase that one on Kindle. Uh, but sometimes I do that. Like if the only version of a book I can find is something with teeny tiny font, mm-hmm. because you know, well, and you have struggles with your vision too. But I've gotten to the point where. I can't see far away and I can't see close. Oh up. no, <laughs>
0: that's what I'm no. dreading. <laughs> I can't hold my arm in any one position where I can read well. <laughs> but cl- when it clocks in at a thousand pages, even if you could, your arms would start to feel like they're falling off at some point. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So a we can of- count it as a CrossFit workout there you go
1: (laughs) (laughs) but a couple of his books are on kindle unlimited and then of course there there are audio versions as well so Hmm. and he also has a a history of christianity
0: oh i didn't know that
1: not kindle unlimited but um it's there
0: i actually don't know enough about him to know if he's a believer well then there's also a book (laughs) so funny you should say that are we sponsored by Kindle Unlimited today? I'm just wondering. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> called, uh, no it's called Jesus, a biography from a believer by Paul Johnson.
0: <laughs> wow. So there you go. Sorry, I'll get off Amazon. I've <laughs> we'll just stay there because it's not a podcast episode until someone buys a book. So I'm not
1: buying anything.
0: <laughs> I'm just looking. Well, maybe I should open up my window just in case. All right. So we're going to transition to our topical discussion, which is I think even, maybe closer to an interview today because we have Kelly with us and we're very excited about this. Kelly is going to be, I guess we usually call it mentoring the Shakespeare endeavor beginning in February. And, um, really Kelly, I need to talk to you more about that anyway. <laughs> um, but so surprise, we're doing Shakespeare in February guys. Um, <laughs> actually, I think when this episode comes out, it's coming out on a Friday and you're officially starting that the following week after that comes out. So it'll be perfectly timed. I was wondering, Kelly, if we could just start off with you telling us a little bit more about yourself, knowing more about your homeschooling experience. I know you've done this for a really long time, and I want people to kind of know like where you're coming from as we start to talk about Shakespeare and learning and all that kind of stuff. So can you just tell us like a little more? Well, um, gosh, I don't know where to start with my homeschooling experience because I've decided to homeschool
2: my children when I was still a teenager. I was very, very dissatisfied with my own education, my own schooling. You know, my education, I think most of it took place outside of the school Mm -hmm. um, in conversations with my daddy and books that I read and things like that. So I d- can't remember if I was still in high school or if it was the year after I graduated. There was this family of young girls that I babysat when the uh, oldest one got to be about five. And I went there one Friday night to babysit them. And there was uh, in the dining room, the little ABC cards all around the wall. And I asked their mom, oh, what are y'all doing? And her mom said, we have decided to homeschool. <laughs> and <laughs> I immediately thought that's what I'm going to do. I wow. <laughs> Just wow. a light bulb. Yeah, it just... So, um, I, after I graduated high school, I worked for two years and then I went to college for three semesters and then I got married. And then the next year I had my first baby. And so I, when, when I met my husband and we first started talking about getting married, um, I told him I want to have a lot of kids and I went to homeschool. (laughs) And so (laughs) he said, okay. (laughs) All right. So, So we've kind of always, I mean, my idea behind homeschooling initially was just, I wanted my kids to be. At home with each other and with me and to have a childhood, you know, I, I did not like all the hours they were spending in class. And by the time my kids got to be school age, the children were having homework. I mean,
1: Hmm.
2: you know, seven-year-olds having homework, that just is insane to me. So initially I just thought I'll keep them at home the first three years or so. And when they're ready for fourth grade, I'll put them in school. I had read Raymond and Dorothy Moore's book, um, Hmm. Homegrown Kids, Mm-hmm. And so they talked about basically in the early elementary years, children just need to be read aloud to. They need to listen to good music. They need to have a lot of time to play and play outside. They need to help around the house. And it's essentially Charlotte mm-hmm. Mason, although, you know, they didn't ever mention her.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, so we planned to do that. And we were going to put them in school when they were ready for fourth grade. But the year that my oldest was ready for fourth grade, we had just moved. My husband was in the military. And so we were mm-hmm. always either moving or having a baby or both, you know. And we had just moved and we were having a baby and it just wasn't a good oh, year word. to put her in school. So we thought, let's do it one more year. And that year went really well. And so we decided to do it one more year and then we moved again. You know, it's just, and so it just kind of kept being one more year, one more year. And by the time she got to high school, I thought, I guess we're always homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! And uh, yeah, so we um, started looking for some online classes for them to take at the high school just. We knew somebody who taught Latin logic rhetoric and the great books and world history, that kind of thing. So by then I had younger kids that I needed to teach reading. And so I was putting my older kids into those kinds of online classes so that I'd free up time for my younger kids. And somewhere along the line, I started doing Ambleside online. My ideas of education had always been because they were based on the conversations that I had with my dad and Hmm. the old books that I read. And C.S. Lewis is surprised by joy when he talked about playing at home with his brother and that little garden that they made and reading Mm. Greek with the professor, Mr. Kirkpatrick and that sort of thing. Those were the kinds of things that had shaped my ideas of what an education ought to look like. So when I discovered classical stuff and Charlotte Mason stuff, a lot of that looked familiar to me. And so I kind of started coddling things together for my own kids and, um, I started using Ambleside Online when my three youngest, the, the oldest of my three youngest was first grade. And I just had them all together. We did everything all together because I was always too tired to do just separate things. <laughs> 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 and I would separate them for things that they needed, you know, like with right. handwriting or reading lessons, math, you know, some things like that. But everything else we just all did together. Did a lot of reading aloud, a lot, a lot of reading aloud four of my kids are dyslexic. And so um, mm-hmm. it took them a long time you know, to be able to read. And so I just read everything aloud. So it was good. I was always getting my own education with them, always having them read things that maybe weren't on the curriculum because I wanted to learn it. <laughs> and so my younger set, they have all gone to Angelina's Great Books classes online. Mm-hmm. Then a couple of years ago, I took her medieval and Renaissance literature class. Mm-hmm. I'm in her early modern class this year. In 2018, I graduated from Cersei's Apprenticeship, so I started oh. doing that in 2015. I did not know that. Yeah, I started 2015. I started, so I was part of Renee Mathis. Um, she does the Gulf Coast group, uh-huh. and so I was in her first graduating class, so wow. that was a lot of fun. Gosh, I mean, we've made lifelong relationships. I mean, it's only been a couple of years, mm-hmm. but it feels like lifelong relationships. We still meet once a month. One of our classmates is a kind of a Plato expert and he's taking us through Plato's Republic and we just meet on Facebook messenger or no, I think we use zoom actually. And um, Mm. he's leading us through the Republic. And when he gets through, they want me to lead them through fairy queen. So we're going to do book one Mm -hmm. and then Jacob is going to do another Plato work. And then I'm going to do fairy queen book two. And we're just going to go back and forth like that for however long it
0: takes. (laughs) The rest of your life. So like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really neat. So, remind me, how many kids do you have total? I have seven. Seven. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I wanted to make sure I was right. So, you have how many left at home? Well, my oldest is 30 and my youngest is 16. So, the 16 year old is the
2: only one who's still a student. A student. Right. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm official student, because it sounds like I am right. sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking, well, well, Kelly's still a student. That's uh, true. Yeah. So there's probably a pretty good chance that a lot of your kids are too.
2: Yeah. Anybody who's at home and we have morning time, everybody just comes to morning time. And then uh, if they have to leave and go to work, then they do. But if they're home, they come to morning time. So.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And my
2: husband is working from home
1: now too. So he gets to come sometimes.
2: <laughs> so. Oh, how neat. Yeah. So that's fun.
1: Okay. So I have to know, what does your morning time look like?
2: Well, we start off with prayers. I use uh, the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, the Episcopal Church prayer book, and we use their morning prayer pattern. You can do a really short or a really long set of prayers, just kind of depending on the church season and how late we're getting started. <laughs> like if we're starting morning time at two o'clock, we go a little faster. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, used to be like that a lot when we had goats. We don't have farm animals anymore, so we tend to get started. My goal has always been whatever time church starts, that's what time morning time starts. And so our church always started at 10. That was always our official time for morning time. But since we've moved, the church that we're going to now starts at 9.15. So I've got to bump every... When we come back after Christmas, I told everybody, we're having morning time at 9.15 now. So (laughs) (laughs) we are not early risers. (laughs) My husband is a night owl. And so we follow his cycle. So we start off with... Prayers and scripture reading, we always have a, a psalm for the day. And our scripture reading, sometimes we have a book that we're just reading through. And sometimes we're following the lectionary, just kind of varies from year to year, depending on what people are interested in. And then we have a poetry selection that we're doing. And we might have a, um, a particular poet that we're reading. Or recently, or the last school year, I started reading Mother Goose because my younger two kids missed Mother Goose. I mean, Aww, when they yeah. were four and two years old, we were reading Plutarch and you know <laughs> <so> <laughs> they missed the baby stuff. And so we've come back around to it now. And it's all good. They're enjoying it.
0: <laughs> That's neat.
1: Well and it's important too because you know they miss stuff.
0: <laughs> and right, so many cultural right?
1: References and things like yeah. that. You just completely miss it if you don't know. Right. You need Mother Goose. So what do we do after that? Then
2: we'll usually have a literature selection that we're reading together or history and it just kind of varies. This school year, because we started moving at the beginning of the school year, and we're just getting settled in. It's been kind of wild. So morning time Mm -hmm. has been like, we're having prayers and I'm reading the poem and then everybody's got to go do their thing. Mm -hmm. We've had that like one or two days a week is all we've been able to get to it. So it's been Mm -hmm. hectic. I'm looking forward to the end of our Christmas break and getting settled down and back to real school.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you call morning time real school.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Okay. So I got to ask you, so you were saying whoever's home comes to morning time. And just because I've been asked this question before, how do you handle, you know, some kids are there one day and not another, but you're doing this literature selection, for example, where one chapter, I mean, are you, are you skipping things when people aren't all together or do you just move on and not worry about it? Mm -hmm. Um, Initially when my kids, the
2: older kids first started having jobs or going out to their an aging relatives house to help take care of them or that sort of thing and missing things. Mm -hmm. And we kind of didn't do school because we were waiting for them to come back. And Mm -hmm. I realized that's not going to work because this is a new season that we're entering. So Mm. they it's unfortunate, they just miss it, you know, but we tend to recap and we talk about the stuff that we're reading a lot. You know, when we're together, we, we talk about it. So they get caught up, but sometimes they'll take a book with them and just read on their own to keep up with us. That's By the answer. time that sort of thing starts happening, they're in their upper teens and yeah. I feel like their education is more on them than it is on me. And I have to keep home life going. I mean, I want to put everything on pause until everything's back home. I hate it that my kids are growing up. Why do they do that? I don't want them to grow <laughs> up and leave home. Oh. It's like the ultimate betrayal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, they grow up and they leave home and you have to keep living <laughs> at home. Right. <laughs> and you have to keep nurturing the the kids who are still at home. <laughs> yeah so it is kind of hard and it's bittersweet but we do keep going and then when they're there we do a little recap anyway before we start the next day's reading and so they they hear that little bit of um you know somebody will just give a quick narration of what we've read in the last day or two and catch everybody up and then we jump back in so mm-hmm.
1: it's
2: a different season
1: yeah yeah well kelly you describe yourself as self-educated so what exactly does that mean I think it
2: just means that, um, well, like I said, my schooling was just not, I don't know what was wrong. Part of it was that <laughs> I was always sitting and reading a book under the desk instead of paying attention in class. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and um, the books that I was reading and the conversation and my daddy was so smart. He just, he knew everything. And so anytime I had a question, he could connect everything together. So everything that was happening outside of the classroom was so much more interesting anyway than what was happening in the classroom, Mm -hmm. usually. I mean, there were things that I did learn in class, but school mostly felt like a waste of time. And um, even college, when I first started college, because I was planning on homeschooling, I was started college as an elementary education major because I thought that would help me homeschool, you know. (laughs) (laughs) As I was looking ahead to what my classes were going to be farther down the line, I realized that. I really didn't need classes in parent-teacher conferences and um, <laughs> bulletin board setup and classroom management, you know. Wow. <laughs> I wanted to be yes. studying subjects, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, so I had a really good English teacher in college who reignited my love of poetry. That I, I loved poetry when I was a child, but then once we started studying poetry in school, they killed it my English professor, Dr. Johnson, that she loved certain poets. And Mm. because I loved her, I loved the poems that she loved. And I kept that book from our textbook from that year. I still have it and go back and read things and started learning to love poetry again after I got married, going back and rereading that book. Well, and then when my oldest was first grade and I got this book called Stories of the Pilgrims by Margaret Pumphrey, that was her history book. And I thought I knew everything about the pilgrims. (laughs) I started reading this book and found out there was a lot of stuff that they never taught us in school. The same
0: thing happened to me with that exact book. That's so funny. Yes. (laughs) And so I was kind of mad. (laughs) And and I think that's when I realized, well, because
2: I read so much outside of school that people always thought that I knew everything from school plus everything that I've been reading. And um, people thought I knew a lot. So I think I got a an opinion of myself that was higher than it should have been. <laughs> and um, so I thought I was well-educated. And then I read this first grade book and
1: found out that I didn't know anything. <laughs> it really made me mad. Oh, it goes back to that humbleness uh,
0: <laughs> that Karen Glass talks about. <laughs> uh-huh. The beginning of learning. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you know, it's really funny because...
1: We're talking about you being self-educated, but something that has struck me in what you've been talking about is the fact that you've mentioned your father being such a mentor, you know, an inspiration to you. You know, you speak so highly of him and how so much of your mm-hmm. education came from the conversations that you guys were having, which has kind of been, we've recorded a couple of episodes this week and I'm seeing a theme here, Brandy. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. And then this inspirational college professor as well. So it sounds to me like, yeah. even though, you know, we're talking about you being self-educated, there have been some really important mentors along the way.
2: Yeah, that's important. I um, I feel like there's a lot that you can do on your own. But like I said, even now, I'm still taking classes from Angelina because she knows mm-hmm. so much. I, I love medieval and Renaissance literature, and she knows so, so much more than I do. So... I'm taking her classes so I can learn more about what I love from her.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe the self-educated part of it is that because I didn't get my education spoon-fed to me in school, I think mm-hmm. that's probably why I think about it that way. I only have yeah. three semesters of college, you know, and then I got married and started having babies. And, you know, so I never had time or money for more formal education. So mm-hmm. it's that informal aspect of it that I think is why I, and even other people have said to me about, you know, being self i getting my own, I have to go out and get my own education.
1: Right. But you do mm-hmm. it by connecting yourself. Yeah. With... Connect
2: to other people. Other yeah. People, other books. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You're not learning in a vacuum, but you're connecting yourself with other people who know the things, who know more than you, who know the things you want to know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I think is one of the great things we do here at Scholé Sisters is helping to connect people in those mm-hmm. kind of situations. hmm
0: You know, your father sounds remarkable. How did he get that way? Was he like you? Was he, was he formally educated or was he was like making all these connections on his own also?
2: Oh, well, he was just brilliant. I mean, he grew up on a farm and squirrel hunting when he was nine by himself and, you know, all that sort of thing. But then um, he went to college, he was a chemist and he just, he read all the time and we had Mm. a lot of books around the house and I just always read whatever he was reading. So, wow, you know, a lot of science fiction and science magazines and that sort of thing. He just was interested in everything and knew how to do everything. He could build a house, he could repair a car, you know, he knew he understood music and could play the piano, although he didn't like to play in front of people. Hmm. You know, he was just basically a Renaissance man, you know, he I was just thinking about everything. Oh, yeah. And so, anytime you asked him about anything, he he just knew (laughs) and he knew how to connect it. And of course, and he knew our family history. So he would talk about, you know, he would tell stories about growing up and about his ancestors and things like that. So just all of that made everything so interesting. I I love the way everything connects Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. He would take us outside at night to watch the stars and you know, the meteor showers and thunderstorms and things like that. And then I read Greek mythology and connected all that to the constellations that he taught us. And all of that connected together. And I, I just, I love that. I love seeing patterns and seeing how everything fits
0: together. Beautiful. Let's shift gears a little bit. You are going to be mentoring Shakespeare for starting in February. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us just a little bit about like what play you chose and why and what we're going to be doing and that kind of thing? I chose As You Like
2: It, which is a comedy. Um, it's it's one of my favorite ones is, and I chose it because I felt well. In all honesty, it's just like if I were teaching my kids, I wanted to read it again. And so somebody said, will you teach Shakespeare? And I said, yeah, this is the one I've been wanting to read. So I'm going to teach it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a comedy, but it's based on an early kind of proto novel from the 1500s. Rosalind and that Rosalind is a pastoral romance. And I love that form so much. And Hmm. so even though it's a comedy, it has all the elements of a pastoral of a romance. So it just has the atmosphere that I love in a story. And there are certain, I'm kind of on a, I'm investigating right now where the way um, the celestial spheres show up in different stories. And I I read something about, because the end of, as you like it, there are no spoilers, right? So at the end of it, (laughs) there's a wedding and there's four couples. So there's eight people, there's eight characters involved, and there's eight celestial spheres and that's an octave. And so I thought, I wonder if it's in that book too. I wonder so that's why I started oh, wow. thinking I've got to read as you like it again. So that's kind of a thing that I've got in mind that I'm always looking for when I'm reading different books right now. I'm just, I'm fascinated by the idea of the octave and the spheres and the music of the spheres and all of that. So that's kind of random, but that's why I chose as you like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a fascinating reason. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your relationship with Shakespeare. How did you come to be qualified <laughs> to to mentor people in Shakespeare when you only have, you know, three your three semesters of college or and you were enhancing your experience yeah. in the classroom by reading a book?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, That's
2: awesome. no, I was ignoring what the teacher was saying because I already knew what she was talking about. So I was a little bit stuck up. Um,
1: <laughs> or you had, a, or you had something better to read. That was amen. Yeah,
2: yep. right. Yeah, it was. It was. It was partly that. So, okay. When I was in twelfth grade and we read Julius Caesar, I was the only kid in class who understood the play. And I think a lot of it was because I grew up reading the King James Bible. Yeah. <laughs> also, my mother loves old movies, and so we were always watching old movies. So I had seen the old Marlon Brando and James Mason, Julius Caesar, oh. and anything that Laurence Olivier was ever in. And he did a lot of Shakespeare movies. And so I had watched all of those. And so I already knew Shakespeare from having watched these old movies. And so when I started reading it, I, I didn't have any trouble with the language because I was used to reading the King James version of the Bible. And I didn't have much trouble with the stories because I'd seen a lot of the films, you know, hmm then I always read fairy tales, and so much of his stuff has got a fairy tale kind of element to it that sort of helps you recognize what's going on, you know? Yeah. And then I started reading it more in earnest when I was doing Ambleside Online with the kids. And in The Apprenticeship, we read um, a Shakespeare play every year. So we read um, Julius Caesar and The Tempest and Hamlet in The Apprenticeship. So having other educators to read it with and discuss it with, that has helped give me more insight into what's going on structurally and hmm. everything. And then last year in the Medieval and Renaissance Literature class that Angelina taught, we did Macbeth. Hmm. She's such a good teacher. Y'all, y'all know what a good teacher Angelina is. <laughs> so I feel like I've had a lot of experience in a lot of different ways, you know, with watching it in various film productions and on stage and having read it from childhood and reading children's versions of it and reading it with educators and reading it as an adult student of a master teacher. And then I have also been reading Northup Fry and um, Harold Goddard on Shakespeare. And um, I read Isaac Asimov, his commentaries on Shakespeare. Mm. So I've been trying to educate myself on the form of drama and how it works and the history behind the various stories and things like that. So I'm I'm not a master, but I do feel like I've got plenty that I know that most other people don't know that yeah. I love to
0: share. I love to share what I know.
1: Yeah, and you really only have to be one step ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're at least 10 from me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Kelly, tell me a little bit about your philosophy of Shakespeare, because I have a very specific Shakespeare philosophy of how he should be studied. So I want I want to know what yours is philosophy of Shakespeare. I hadn't thought of Yeah, about like how do, how do you approach it? As far as like, you know, you've mentioned uh, reading some of the children's versions. You've mentioned mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of your background came from watching all of these movies and things like that. So if you were uh, meeting a mom who said, I you know, I'd like to tackle some Shakespeare, what would you tell her to do?
2: Well, first of all, my philosophy for reading anything is, like C.S. Lewis talks about in and Criticism, you, you need to... At least on your first reading you need to approach it as best you can the way an original audience would have instead of bringing your own assumptions hmm. that Shakespeare didn't have so that you actually understand what he's saying. Yeah. You know you know what his words meant. So that's kind of my foundational thing that's I don't know if that's the first thing that I would tell somebody to do if they were trying to approach Shakespeare. But I do feel like because the the stories are sort of mythic in that they can be retold without ruining the story. Like you wouldn't take, I don't know, Pride and Prejudice and make a children's version of Pride and Prejudice. That that messes (laughs) it up, you know. But Shakespeare's stories, because of that sort of mythic quality, you can take the kernel of the story and retell it. And as long as that's told well, you're getting the kernel of the story. Mm -hmm. And then when you come to the play in the original language, you've got that... Colonel, and like you mentioned earlier, there's just there's no such thing as spoilers with Shakespeare. I mean, most of his stories were based on previous stories that his audience may have known already. Anyway, mm. um, The Tempest, I think, is the only one that is original mm-hmm. with him; that he invented the plot and everything. Um, everything oh. else is drawn from history and fairy tales and um, novels, or, or you know, other stories that had been written prior to his time. So, um, watching a production is always good. Shakespeare originally of course, was meant to be watched. There are plays. Any production is going to interpret the, the director and the actors are going to interpret it and you might disagree with their interpretation. there may be some that you don't want to take your kids to. It sort of depends on the, the production company and what their values are. So I feel like if you're having trouble trying to read it that watching a production or reading a children's version is probably the best way to approach one. That way you've got the big picture. And then when you go to read it, you you can tell what's happening because you're you're filling in the big
1: picture. Hmm. Okay, so one of the things that you said struck me as interesting, and so I, I want a, a source for this. <laughs> um, you said that you should understand the context, how Shakespeare's audience would have seen it. And Angelina talks about this all the time. Mm-hmm. So where would I go to find that out? Like if I were really interested in how Shakespeare's audience would have viewed this particular situation or even things so simple as what the cultural aspects were of going to a play or something like that. Do you have a source for that? Mm, um, One good
2: one is E.M.W. Tilliard's The Elizabethan World Picture. Hmm. He talks a lot about what was important to Elizabethans so that, for example, when you're reading Julius Caesar and all this crazy stuff is happening with storms and animals acting crazy in the streets and What does that have to do with anything? But what it has to do with anything is that for the Elizabethan, the human heart affects the cosmos. And if you're disordered in your heart, then the whole cosmos is disordered. Wow. And so since these men are plotting to assassinate Caesar, there's disorder in the whole cosmos. And that's why everything is crazy. In Macbeth, when you've got those witches, like what does that have to do with anything? Well, you know, there's people plotting evil satanic stuff and so yeah they're going to be witches there saying things so that sort of thing uh till talks about that just to help you get a kind of a frame of reference and um how the elizabethan audience would have viewed the way the world works in the first place so that it helps you understand relationships in the stories that there's always hierarchy and rank and certain people need to be honored and certain people need to be protected. And when all that's upended, that just creates disorder and it's chaos. And everything is affected by that. That book helps with understanding sort of the big picture. Hmm. I can't think of anything that, yeah, I don't have a source on, um, like what it was like going to theater. You know, I've, I remember stuff that I've read and, and heard people talk about, but I, I can't think of
1: a, I don't have a bibliography on that. Fascinating stuff. I'll have to check that yeah. out. Yeah. So let me ask you one more question. I'm going like totally off Brandy's list now. (laughs) Uh, But let me ask you one more question. If I know the story, if I've read the children's version, if I've gone to see the play, why should I bother reading the play and digging into all that hard language? Yeah,
2: (laughs) it's so good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Convince Um, me why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah you know what? I'm not sure that that's a thing that I would say everybody, every human has to do this. Like you just absolutely have to do it. The stories are good and they nourish your soul. They, they just help you understand the world that God made. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage people to read them. And I think the, the work of reading them and soaking in the language and seeing how much of what we say now came out of Shakespeare phrases that he just invented, Mm -hmm. you know, that, um, They come from him and it's a connection to our own past. It's a connection to our own literary heritage. I mean, I think it's good to read it, but I don't feel like it's I mean, if I had a friend who felt like well, actually I know people who feel like it's a sin to read Shakespeare because there's, you know, naughty jokes and Mm -hmm. things like that happening, and they feel like it's a sin to read Shakespeare. And I would not try to convince them to read him. I think I would if they asked me, I would try to help them see what's going on there that, you know, every culture has a different standard of modesty. Hmm. What's modest speech and modest behavior and that sort of thing varies from one culture to another. And Elizabethan England, they just in their drama at least. And I don't think people took their children to dramas. I mean, this was all adults. Hmm. That kind of body humor is part of acknowledging that as a human, there's a spiritual exalted part of us, but there's also a physical, part of us that has physical issues. And, <laughs> you know, it's earthy humor, because we live in these physical bodies that are going to die and going to decay. Mm-hmm. And we have to do kind of weird, gross things with our bodies sometimes. And that's part of being human. So there's a humility in recognizing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And also in recognizing that, you know, there are different eras where the way they dress, if an Elizabethan saw you and me walking around with our pants and t-shirts and everything, they might think we were horribly immodest and vulgar people.
0: Mm, yeah, that's true.
2: That's just one of those things that you kind of have to realize that different cultures and different eras have different standards. Right. But also I don't want people to violate their own consciences.
0: Well, what's that verse that says, whatever is not done in faith is sin. I always think of that when someone is having their doubts about that, that, you know, mm-hmm. don't do it until you have the faith to do it. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> We all have our weaknesses too that we have to be careful of. Well, I am thrilled that you're going to be doing this. Before we wrap all this up, I was hoping to ask you one more question just about self-education, because Shakespeare sounds like he was sort of a love at first sight experience for you. He wasn't super hard for you to tackle because of the background that you just happened to have in your life. And I'm just wondering where have you struggled? I'm I'm thinking about we, you know, we hear from a lot of moms where a particular author or a particular subject or something is really hard, and you know, here we are. We're homeschooling, and sometimes we don't have access to online resources or we can't afford them. Like, can we get past those things? Do you have anything to say to us <laughs> in terms of like persevering when it gets hard or when it's not intuitive? This is funny because I I don't know how this even
2: happened, but I did not begin to read Jane Austen until I was in my thirties. It even happened because my mother recorded that. BBC production of um, Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. Oh, yeah. And sent me the VHS tape, which I had no idea what it was, but my husband was out of town for a week. And one night I thought, I'm going to watch that movie. <laughs> and so I put the kids to bed <laughs> nice. and started watching however many hours long that was. Oh, wow. <laughs> and,
0: um, six. I watched it all it's six hours. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, yeah. Well, my kids' bedtime was early. So I started about eight. <laughs> wow um had to take a break and I kept thinking it doesn't feel like it's going to be over anytime soon, but I don't want to stop yet. So I watched that whole thing one night and then I went to the library and got the book because I thought this this was really good. I want to read this book and know what's, what else she wrote, you know, and this book that I got out of the library had Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Pride and Prejudice kind of made sense because I had already seen the production. Mm-hmm. I did wonder, I was kind of mad at Elizabeth when you know, Darcy gave her that letter after he proposed to her and he gave her that letter explaining everything. And then over time she came to realize that she was wrong. He was right. and Actually, he was a pretty cool guy and actually she might like to be married to him. And <laughs> I thought, well, why didn't she just write him back? <laughs> 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 so I was a little bit annoyed with that aspect of the story. But then when I read Sense and Disability, the whole thing just drove me crazy. I thought these girls are nuts. What? <laughs> and what's the big deal? But why is she actually... And so the whole thing just really and I don't know why I felt I was so disconnected from that era. I had no idea what there what was going on in the story and why this author was telling things this way and just was really frustrating until I, I found this book called the author's name is Daniel uh Daniel Poole. And the title is something like What Jane Austen Ate and Charles Dickens knew or the other Oh, way around. I've seen that book. Yeah, that's a really good book. He just goes and explains all kinds of things, including customs like Unmarried couples don't go riding around in carriages together, hmm. and you don't write letters. Girls, you know, don't write letters to people they are not engaged to. Well, nobody does. First, oh. he just handed it to him oh. in private because you don't write letters to somebody that you're not engaged to. I mean, Mister Knightley says he can write a letter to Missus Weston because she is married, and it's all on the up and up, and you know, her husband is there. And so it's okay for him to write letters to her, but huh. he couldn't write to Emma, even though they were like best friends. And
0: I always wondered you know. why
2: they didn't write to each other. Right. Oh. Yeah. So you had to be engaged to, to write to somebody. And that's why it was so shocking that Marianne was writing to, forget that guy's name, Willoughby. And Eleanor just assumed that they were engaged because they were writing letters. And- <laughs> <laughs> riding out in carriages together and right. doing all kinds of things that engaged couples did. And so when I hit something hard like that and that I just, I didn't know what was going on. And it's like you mentioned earlier, finding a mentor. And in this case, it was Daniel Poole and his book. Yeah, that was what finally got me understanding what was happening so that I could enjoy the stories because they were making me crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So we ended up with two background type books here, one for Shakespeare and one for Jane Austen. Well, and apparently Charles Dickens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering either of these books, can, can they be used with our kids? Like, is there any reason why I'm thinking if I was to get this book on the Jane Austen, Charles Dickens thing, because I've been, I just read Emma to my kids and we usually read one Mm -hmm. Dickens book a year aloud. Can I put that into morning time? Like, is there any reason why that wouldn't work?
2: Well, the pool book is almost like an encyclopedia. It's kind of, it's set up in different sections. Okay. Um, Like there'll be a section on marriage and then, you know, it's got sort of entries and there's an index. So you can look up how much is a shilling and you can go look that up. And Ah. yeah, so it's, I mean, you might could figure out a way to, to do it in boring time, but it's not the kind of thing that you would just sit down and read. I I think you could, there's a whole passage on, you know, marital relations and all of that sort of thing and what you could and could not do, but you'd be able to edit that sort of thing easily. Okay. The Tillyard book, probably with your high schoolers, you could read that Okay, with them. But yeah, younger kids, it's going to, because he gets into cosmology and philosophy and all of that kind of thing in order to lay the groundwork for what people just had as background knowledge wow. when they came to Shakespeare. Those would certainly be good resources for moms to read though. So that you have your own background knowledge when you're teaching
0: your kids. Sounds perfect. Cool. I think I'm going to buy both of them. Making this an official podcast episode.
1: <laughs> I am not buying books. I'm not buying books. <laughs> I did put them in my cart so I would remember them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking the the only difference between you and me is that I actually pressed buy now. <laughs> 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 um, I I tried to momentarily convince myself I wasn't going to buy books in the new year, but then I realized I actually don't have. Tons and tons of books sitting around here that I haven't read. I did at one point, but I've kind of worked on that project. So I don't feel guilty. And I have Amazon gift cards. So (laughs) that combination. It's still
2: Christmas.
0: Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Got a good few more days left here. (laughs) Well, Kelly, thank you for joining us. This has just been. I don't know what I expected, but I've really enjoyed picking your brain on all this stuff. And we're very excited to have you mentoring Shakespeare in 2020. And we'll let everybody know where they can come and meet you and join in the fun. But thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's been wonderful.
2: Thank you. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the Shakespeare too, because I I learn so much when I'm teaching through or mentoring through with somebody else, because it forces me to dig in more than I'm maybe normally would if I were just reading for pleasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to it as well. Great.
1: Awesome.
0: That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed this kickoff episode for season 11 of Skolle Sisters. Remember, every episode has a Skolle sheet and this episode is no exception. Don't just listen to the podcast, apply the ideas. So, Go to scolaysisters.com slash ss65 and download your Scolay sheet for free. The Shakespeare Mentorship with Kelly begins on Monday, February 10th. This is exclusively for our Sistership Premier members, and we so hope that you will join us. Go to scolaysisters.com slash sistership to sign up if you're not already a member. The Sistership is a hopping place, so don't miss it we've got another awesome season coming up for you. For the next episode, Misty, Pam, Abby, and I are discussing the Faculty of Friends concept that appears in the new edition of the liberal arts tradition. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. Are you gonna live broadcast a tornado or something exciting like that?
1: (laughs) I hope not. No, I'm. I'll be leaving you and going off to my closet. I see. She says, "Mom, a lot of that just goes over my head until Miss Angelina explains it." I'm like, "Just soak it in. It's okay. That's why you're
0: in school, baby." (laughs) I could I could leave that in so we could get hate mail about Dungeons and Dragons that could be <laughs> <laughs>